Hello, welcome to the Science for Policy podcast. My name's Toby, and today I'm joined by Professor Janusz Bojnicki. Professor Bojnicki is a molecular biologist who leads a research group at the International Institute of Molecular and Cell Biology in Warsaw, where his research includes computational modeling of RNA structures and engineering proteins with new functions. He's also worked extensively with policymakers, not just in his native Poland, where he has a range of science advice roles, but also at European level, where he was previously a member of the group of chief scientific advisors to the European Commission, and he now represents Poland in the European Science Advisors Forum. So, Janusz, welcome to the podcast. Um, Hello, Toby. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me and for introducing me. Uh, It's the least I can do. I think your term as a science advisor uh, at the European Commission ended not too long after I arrived at the uh, scientific advice mechanism, so we didn't really overlap. Do you look back fondly on your time working with the Commission? Was it time well spent? Oh, yes. It It was a great time and for many reasons. First, it was a very enriching experience for me. First of all, I met scientists and professionals from very different areas, not just from science, but also from policymaking and and, and many other areas that are important for for policymaking. And together, we were learning how to work with policymakers, providing science advice, learning how to provide uh, science advice for policymakers in, in the best way and what is useful, what is not so useful um, and uh, how to talk to each other and to other professionals to explain science in the terms that not, not only we understand but could be translated to a more uh, broadly understandable language, which was not easy, but it was tremendous experience. I think uh, all of us uh, share this impression that we learned a lot and also that it was really useful because the feedback we got from our clients from in, in, in the commission and from other colleagues working with us was that it, it, it was really useful to see this uh, different areas of science and different ways of interpreting science, uh, scientific evidence um, and making opinions together as, as, as something that was very useful and, and, and different from the previous times where there was no group of scientific advisors coming from such a different areas. Yeah, so it sounds very much like a team sport. Oh, yes, absolutely. Right, and now your term has come to an end and, and you have headed home to Poland, as it were. Has there been any traffic in either direction in terms of perhaps insights from Brussels that you're now able to bring into your science advice work in Poland or vice versa, experiences from Poland that were helpful to you in your Brussels role? Well, of course, I tried to to bring the lessons from the European Commission to Poland, but I have to uh, admit that I have not left Brussels and the circle of scientific uh, advisors uh, completely because uh, I was asked to stay as an expert. Uh, Also, other um, members of the group who are no longer members, former members are still involved in preparation of various opinions as as experts, sharing not only our individual uh, scientific expertise, but also our experience in working in the science advice system. So uh, the the, the European Commission is is, is building an ecosystem of science advisors in in this way. I I, I think this is is a very smart thing to do. Okay, Uh, why do you say that? Mm, Because it is very difficult 
um, to give uh, science advice without all this experience, what works, what doesn't work. And it's both the institutional memory and also the personal uh, experience that is very useful in such situations. And this is actually one of the things that I try to convey uh, in Poland, where the uh, scientific advice has been treated differently and, and given differently than in the European Commission. To some extent, some of the ideas uh, were accommodated, but, um, well, first of all, I don't think that the science advice mechanism as it is in the European Commission could be or should be copied uh, exactly in, in, in its form to Poland because its national government is a different thing than the European Commission. And obviously, the tasks of, of the government are, are not the same as the Commission and the advice is given in a, in, in a different context. And national in particular, not so much, to some extent international, but not as international as in the European Commission. And so different local contexts have to be taken more into account. And also local politics has to be taken into account. From my observations in, in Poland, where I have been involved in an advisory role, but as a member of science policy committee and, and other advisory committees advising on issues such as evaluation of research institutions and, 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 and sometimes making some strategic funding decisions. This side of, the, of advice given by scientists to the government, especially in the national context, especially in Poland, is to some extent focused on balancing different interests and making sure that different groups are represented. For instance, that in a given advisory body, there is a right mix of uh, representatives of universities, research institutes, National Academy of Sciences, and, uh, and, and other groups. And also that the representation is, makes sense in the sort of geographic terms, that it covers different regions of, of Poland and, and, and many other levels. So this, to some extent, serves uh, both to be able to scan the, the opinions from different areas, both of science and of institutional context and in different cities, different regions in, in, in the country, and also to balance different conflicting interests. So this is actually a very important thing. In, in this way, it was different for the European Commission, where uh, it, was, it would be basically impossible to have representatives of all possible varieties and, and their combinations. And but it was the, in, in the European Commission, the focus was mostly on high level expertise and the diversity of expertise that would come together and then bringing additional expertise with very strong support from the secretariat, from the unit uh, with professionals working at the commission who supported us in helping develop the, the different types of opinions and advisory documents. In the Polish system, typically the advisory bodies are given very little admin support and very little uh, additional professional support. There's no uh, uh, extra analytical department that is working essentially for the advisory group. Usually the, the, the scientists would meet, discuss a given issue by themselves or with the representative of a given ministry, for, for instance, and then provide advice that would be averaged out on the level of the, uh, of the overall discussion or making, uh, making one opinion drafted by the scientists themselves, not so much with the involvement of the, of the additional professional support. So one of the things I was trying to, to convey, which is, I think, still not really so much developed in Poland, that one of the key elements of the recipe for success of the science advice is to have a very strong professional uh, administrative and organizational support. So, so the scientists should not be left alone in their advisory role because they need to recognize the needs of the clients and also uh, gathering of the information. So the uh, advice is really based on evidence and on complete evidence that can be 
synthesized. And I'm, now I'm referring both to science for policy and policy to science advice. In both cases, this uh, advisory role it works much differently if it's based on the collection and analysis of evidence rather than on basically balancing the opinion of different players and, uh, and, and actors in a given area who have different views uh, on, on, the, on the matter. Right. That's interesting because it sounded like you started by describing two different roles. So one science for policy about bringing scientific insights into policy and the other one policy for science, which is more about, as you described it, like conveying the views of different parts of the community in the hope that the policymaker then makes the right decision about governing that community, right? So it's a different kind of thing. Do you see those two areas as areas that can realistically be combined? either by the same person or at least in the same kind of uh, structure and mechanism? Well, I think they can be combined if the conflicts of interest are very carefully uh, monitored. From my experience, it often doesn't work well. Some of the biggest threats are that the science advisor could have sort of self-serving uh, advice and, and, and being more of an advocate for him or herself or a particular group of scientists rather than advising on a particular topic. So I think it could work if the scientist is actually isn't involved in research on a particular topic where the advice is provided. And in policy for science advice, uh, uh, actually, in most of the cases, there is some conflict of interest. It just it needs to be properly balanced. But when this happens in the context of, of science for policy advice, uh, I'm not sure that the conflicts of interest can be balanced. It, it, I think it's better that they, they, they are rather avoided than balanced by bringing in another conflict of interest from a different side, because this is becoming more, more political rather than scientific. However, one thing that, that I tried to convey a moment ago is that data and information play important role, not only in science for policy advice, but also in policy for science advice, making informed decisions based on data and not just on a view of the situation of a given scientist can really make a, a, a big difference. But um, if, the, if the two things are mixed, then the question is what is more important and, and how, this, uh, how this advice is used and played by the policymakers and, and, and politicians. Something like this actually happened to me as, as a member of uh, um, the advisory group on preventing, counteracting and combating COVID-19, an advisory group of the Polish Ministry of Science and Higher Education, which was established in March of 2020, and which uh, was supposed to combine science advice on COVID-19 and on emerging uh, situation with new data pouring in from, from, from different directions and in, in interpreting this with uh, evaluation of applications for funding for COVID-19 related projects, mostly in the area of applied sciences because the ministry was essentially flooded by, by projects submitted by various scientists asking for, for sometimes very large amounts of money to fund the projects that were supposed to help with the pandemic in, the, in, the, uh, in a very short term. So the ministry required someone to uh, make sense out of these applications in a, in a different way than it would be handled by a typical funding agency because it was, it was funded directly by the ministry and sometimes these decisions were not only based on merit but on some political um, constraints. This, this group did a very good job in defending the ministry from some of the proposals that were um, not realistic. They, they would not make a difference probably according to our scientific evaluation. However, this group could not fulfill its role in, in the science advice 
because of the, as it turned out, uh, nobody listened. The ministry was not really interested in, in, in listening to our scientific uh, advice on the topic. And essentially, the, the, the group was disbanded in, in uh, September 2020 after the, the, the avalanche of funding proposals has faded away because the other research agencies took over uh, the, the, the regular task of funding COVID-related research rather than having it with the ministry to, to handle the urgent calls. So it was essentially set up to provide both advice on what to fund and also policy advice related to COVID. And in the end, the second role never really materialized. Yes. So essentially, as it turned out, there was not no channel between us as an advisory group and the center of policy making that could uh, 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 allow us to make any impact. So, so even though we were sharing uh, information and summaries of the scientific data, they were probably getting stuck somewhere. So they never reached, I, I, I believe they, they were only reaching the ministry, but there was no, uh, uh, no proper mechanism to convey that advice to the prime minister, essentially, and to other key decision makers. So the ministry would receive that advice, but they could only pass it to the rest of the government through the political process rather through the scientific mechanism. So it was obvious, and it was obvious for me from, from a very long time ago that what is necessary for science advice to, to work uh, is to have a direct uh, contact with the, with the recipient of the information, which was not the case here. It eventually materialized. So, so the Polish government uh, established such advisory body. They established a, a medical council, which was a subsidiary advisory body directly to the prime minister, uh, Mateusz Morawiecki, which was set up in November 2020. So after our group was disbanded. And, uh, and the body's main tasks were to, to, to analyze and assess both the current situation and, and, and then provide opinions on legislation. And uh, so, for instance, to, to, to recommend what to do regarding new rules and restrictions. And independently of, of, of this advisory body, the Polish Academy of Sciences decided to set up its own uh, interdisciplinary uh, advisory team on COVID-19 uh, in the middle of, of 2020. And uh, here, the, 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 role, the advisory role was not attached directly to the prime minister, but it was uh, more like synthesis and dissemination of scientific knowledge without many strings attached. So here, the communication was through the works of, the, of that body, which were, which were published. And, and everybody could, could read them. So there's full transparency and the government could use it. It was a, a, a free lunch they could grab whenever they wanted. Um, the Medical Council, as, as the name suggests, was basically composed of medical experts and experts in, in public health. And they were providing suggestions about regulations, especially concerning the restrictions. Obviously in Poland, like in many other countries, there were strong uh, protests against some of the restrictions. And there was a growing uh, divide between what the uh, medical council recommended and what was introduced and what could be introduced by the by the government so uh, in in January 2022 uh, most members of the medical council resigned and they they cited the lack of impact of their recommendation on on, on real government actions as one of their main reasons and then the body was dissolved and a new council was established in, in, in February 2022, uh, COVID-19 council, which now included, uh, of course, medical and public health experts, but also experts in socioeconomic sciences and various representatives of institutions, including in particular the Minister of Health 
and, and, and presidents of various offices related to medicine and, and uh, pharmacy, like chief sanitary inspector, chief pharmaceutical inspector, and, and the like. So the body has changed, and actually this was the... I think this is a proper direction. So if, if, a, if such a body was constructed in the first place, composed of experts covering very wide areas of uh, importance for the pandemic, so not just medicine, because pandemic, the pandemic is not just a medical problem, but it's a, also a social economic problem. So obviously experts in, 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 in social sciences and economy should be there to start with, um, and also other experts, especially in, in public health. I think at that time, this, this body could, could have more impact. And uh, of course, if it was set up uh, as a direct advisory body to the, to the prime minister. So this, this path was very long. It took about two years to materialize, but eventually a system was created that I think fits the purpose much more than the initial ones. In parallel, this uh, advisory team of the Polish Academy of Sciences continues to work and publishing different scientific recommendations, which um, everybody can see and uh, and read and, and, and comment on, while the, the COVID-19 Council is working more closely to the Prime Minister and um, their recommendations are not announced uh, publicly, or at least not, not directly. Okay, so their advice is not public. Uh, they, they they are they are released to the to, to the public, but obviously they are formatted differently because they are targeting uh, the prime minister and his direct co-workers uh, directly, rather than Polish Academy of Sciences that targets essentially the the whole spectrum of of audiences, including the government, but also the general public. Yeah, so you've got these effectively two parallel channels: one inside government and one outside. Yes, a top-down and a bottom-up uh, approach, essentially. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting that it took, by the sound of it, two false starts, basically, before this prime ministerial-level thing finally made it. So do you think the same thing was going... So you described the committee that you were part of early on, that it didn't manage to reach decision-makers with its science advice. And it sounds like a similar complaint was made by members of the Medical Council when they resigned, that they said also, basically, look, we're not having any impact here. Do you think the reason they felt that way was the same as the reason in the first case, that there was no channel for the advice they gave to reach the people it needed to reach? And then with number three, finally, the government took the hint and set up something more effective. Well, I think I think it was it, it involved mostly learning uh, by experience. So it, it's, it was probably not not list, not the government listening to recommendations how the science advice should be should be constructed, but learning from its own experience with scientists and and, and with science advice. Because as, well, what is what is very important is I think that the scientists themselves had to be educated, have to give advice, because the expectations from the scientific community and perhaps maybe some of the members of the of this of these different advisory bodies were unrealistic. I, believe and actually I know from some of the comments that some of the scientists had a view that well they will come and tell the government what they need to do and the government would just do <laughs> that which is not realistic at all. So you think it was lack of experience and, and maybe uh, mismatched expectations on both sides rather than it being anything more cynical like the government just didn't care or the scientists didn't bother engaging or whatever? Yes I, I believe uh, that there was uh, there was a learning process on both sides, both the government and the and, and the scientists, and also getting to know each other's ways. Uh, I I think that because of the previous experience in uh, policy for science advice, where scientists were very frequently 
advocates for various uh, issues and, and, and their own benefit. The, the, the government was used to uh, this, atti this attitude of scientists, which was not so helpful when, when, when it comes to, to giving advice on uh, science advice for policymaking. So, so it, it probably took time for the scientists also to, to, to understand uh, which of the recommendations are, are, are useful and that recommendations basically give us more money to do more research that not really the recommendation that, that, that fits the context. Yeah, that does make sense. And I guess it's another reason to keep the two separate policy for science and science for policy, not just to avoid a conflict of interest on the science side, possibly, but also so that the trust can develop with the policymakers. So they don't just, you know, roll their eyes and say, well, every time I ask my science advisor a question, they tell me to fund their new lab so they can figure out the answer. Yes, exactly. So it's absolutely the issue of trust and, and also understanding of each other's ways of, of working. And I believe um, many scientists in Poland and existing bodies could serve uh, a role in science advice if they were given a chance both to connect to the policymakers and to be placed in the proper context, and also if they were given a chance to learn how to do this. So if there was some space for making mistakes. Because, I mean, this is, this is a necessary element of, of learning, to, to, to allow for mistakes, because, I mean, it's, one, one cannot learn without making mistakes. And, and, and here I wanted to express um, my opinion, and also, which is shared by many other scientists I know, that uh, institutions such as Polish Academy of Sciences could be used more by the government. So not only in their, in, in, to have specialized advisory bodies for the purpose such as the COVID-19 pandemic, but existing bodies that already work in certain areas of science, such as the, the scientific committees of the Polish Academy of Sciences, many of which actually group top experts uh, from Poland. So if they were given very clear expectations from the from the policymakers of where the science advice is needed, where it would be helpful, I'm sure that many of them would be happy to provide recommendations. Obviously, then, uh, in, in this process, there need to be filters because scientists love to tell the government what, what the government should or shouldn't do. Uh, the, the scientists pre prefer doing this uh, very frequently over actually uh, summarizing what is known about science without making recommendations. But I think uh, if there is some space allowed for scientists to express their opinions, what they would like to see and what they wouldn't like to see, and simply filtering out by, by the policymakers and keeping what is, what is really valuable, then I think this could work. And both sides could learn how to work together, both scientists finding out what actually would works when they give advice to policymakers and uh, the policymakers uh, learning how to ask questions so they actually get response from the scientific community. Yeah, that's very good. I have a couple of practical questions about how easily that might take shape. So this idea of learning on the job. Um, so fine, so Poland hasn't had a long history of institutionally embedded science advice, as you, as you say. So both sides need to understand what the job involves, what the expectations are, I guess what kind of input is and isn't helpful, that kind of thing. But this idea of learning on the job, politically speaking, is might be quite challenging. I mean, to ask the government to come to, say, the Polish Academy and say, okay, we need your input, but we don't really know what we're doing. You don't really know what you're doing. Let's try and figure it out together. I feel like that's quite a big ask for a government which operates in the public political sphere. So do you think that's viable, firstly, for politicians? Do they want to take that risk? Do they have the political room for manoeuvre to take that risk? And secondly, also for scientists, are they willing to engage in that way and engage in give and take, uh, given that they're part of a culture which 
values, independence and free speech and, you know, calling things as they see them based on the evidence rather than on any uh, other external considerations? Well, I think it, it, it is possible, not in all areas. Uh, I think it would not work at all in areas where there is a very hot political debate and where, where things are already in the media and, and, and where there's very strong polarization. So I think this would be absolutely worst uh, place to, to, to start science advice. But there are some areas which are not so controversial. Uh, and, and, and which could also have long-term impact and where, where, where policymakers could see uh, the uh, potential positive effect also for themselves, both in the short term, so uh, until the next elections, and also in the longer term where, where, where there could be some more general benefit for the communities they, they represent or which they want to appeal to. And here, I believe it would be probably sufficient to essentially make space for science advice with clear statement that, that the government may or may not use it. One thing that I found very useful when working uh, uh, in the group of chief scientific advisors was the scoping process. So actually finding the right question and discussing what the scientific question should be so the answer uh, can be useful for the policymaker is, is actually more important than giving an answer. The question is the key, that this collaboration between uh, policymakers and scientists would have to rely on people courageous enough to enter into the discussion of what the most useful question would be. And if this happens, um, then I believe that, that the scientists could organize themselves bottom up or with the help of institutions such as the universities or, or, or Polish Academy of Sciences or, or maybe the learned societies. It depends on the, on, on, on the topic. I believe they could find a, a proper group of experts. Then some piece of advice could be formed and then uh, the government would be free to use it or ignore it. For scientists, the incentive could be if the advice is useful, the, the government or a, or a particular office in, in, in the government or particular minister, for instance, could come back and with, with, with another question. And this is how it worked uh, with a group of chief scientific advisors and the, and the commissioners, where we had repeated requests for addressing new, uh, new, new problems and formulating new scientific questions, which is, for me, th this is evidence that actually that our initial answers, our initial opinions were actually useful. So I think starting this process would be possible if the policymakers could be persuaded to find something that is not in a very hot and polarized debate. Currently, because of many crises uh, and, and, and polarization on pretty much every topic, it's more difficult than, than ever. But, um, you know, it can always get worse. So uh, I don't think why the policymakers and scientists shouldn't start right now rather than wait for some better times. Yeah, I can see that topics that are in the public eye and kind of politically controversial are maybe not the best places to start when you want to try out a new way of doing science advice. But on the other hand, I think we saw this with COVID, having a, a desperately urgent and very public need for science advice is a great motivator. I mean, maybe that's the only way we can ever get people all around the table in the first place. Couldn't that be a good place to start for that reason? Yes, of course, but, but advice in, in, in times of crisis and for the matters of, of crisis and, and, and more long-term advice on policies are, are quite different from, from one another. 
And then you have to take into account different issues and obviously the advice on policies that have long impact and would be expected to function for for, for a long time, then the, the advice has to take into account the changing the, the perception of the of, of the public opinions. Obviously, if the policy is introduced, there will be opinions about it. This is always a moving target, and the landscape is constantly changing. The scientists uh, may not be able to predict how the landscape would change, but the policymaker has to make this bet. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm interested because I wanted to ask you about any peculiarities of Poland? You know, every country has its unique quirks and elements that need to be uh, taken into account if you're designing a science advice system. And I wondered if if you had any insights on that with respect to Poland. So for instance, I'm not very well informed about the details, but one thing I gather from reading media reports that, that reach me is that the political debate is quite febrile and the government is fairly conservative. Does that have any implications, for instance, for the public perception or the politician's perception of science and its value? Well, I think um, there, there, there is a, obviously there is a public debate in, in, in Poland on, on, on many issues. The debate is mostly uh, driven by conflicts of, of, of values and, and, and beliefs rather than by uh, views on science. So, so science in the public debate, unfortunately, is mostly used as, as ammunition by 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 all the sides of the of the debate because some very often there are actually not just two sides but many more in, in, in different topics mm. and well yes i agree the polish society and the polish government is somewhat on their conservative side i mean definitely i would not call poland like the most liberal country in europe but we do have a, a whole spectrum of different uh, um, attitudes in society, ranging, of course, from, from hardcore conservatives to, to, to extreme liberals. And this can change, actually, depending on the topic. And the, sort of the, there are many different divides in the, in the public debate, and, and people who are opposing each other in one aspect can be actually together in, in, in another. So I, I, I mean, our society is, is to some extent divided, but, but it's dynamic. And, and of course, the policymaking and the, the, the politics, I mean, has to take this divide into into account. And unfortunately, usually before the elections, actually, the, the, the polarization is increased because the, the, the politicians are fighting for, for, for votes. Uh, and, and, and usually this uh, works better if, if, if actually polarization is increased rather, rather than decreased. Um, however, you mentioned that uh, policymakers in Poland may have um, not so much trust in science than in other countries. I would, I don't think so. I, I don't have the data on the trust of Polish politicians in, in, in science, but I think if there is mistrust, then there could be a higher mistrust to scientists and, and scientists' opinions, especially given in public, rather than in science itself. Here, when we still continue discussing about the, the relation between uh, policymaking and politics and science, um, many scientists have a perception that, 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 that an advising scientist or scientist who gives advice, especially on TV, <laughs> is a science advisor. And it's more often than not, it's, it, it, this is not an advisory role. It's basically private opinion of, a, of someone with a particular professional, professional background. And policymakers are used to scientists sharing their opinion this way as giving advice, but not being advisors. 
And, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why the trust may not be so high uh, as in, in some other countries where the scientists also find different channels to communicate with the government than just, you know, accepting invitation to a, a TV program and, and giving some advice, the, the more controversial, the better. Yeah, so discipline needed on all sides, as much from the scientists as from the politicians. It does make sense. So then, well, let's broaden things out. Setting aside that particular issue, are there other specificities of Poland that have implications of any kind for science advice? Well, no. And actually, I think Poland is not that different from from other countries because there is an ecosystem of science advice and and, and scientists having advisory roles. What is missing so far is, is the body of a chief scientific advisor or a group of chief scientific advisors to the central government at the level of the prime minister, because I think this would make a difference. This is missing. Well, obviously, the prime minister has various advisory bodies, but but not what I'm what I'm referring to now is like this general mechanism that could address all scientific questions, especially in long-term yeah. advice. But but in Poland, we all, we do have all, all the other elements of the system that are, that are typical for mature, uh, technologically advanced uh, countries, including all the sort of advisory committees on on, on technical and regulatory issues. So there are many bodies with experts advising on health, environment, safety, risk assessment, preparation of guidelines, and, and, and so on. We do have the science and innovation policy committees, and, and of course, the, the scientific academies and learned societies have, have their role. So, I mean, most of the elements of the system are already there, and they are working rather well. I mean, I don't think they work less well than in other countries in Western Europe. Um, well, some of them may have different impact, may have different roles, like, for instance, the, the Polish Academy of Sciences has its own institutes, which is not the case uh, in many, many countries in the, in the Western Europe. So this, for instance, this changes the role of the academy. But, but what I think is really missing and, and would, could, could make a difference is the uh, high-level advisory body at the level of the prime minister that could have a general advisory role covering all fields of, of, of research and being composed in such a way that, to make emphasis on, on scientific excellence on the one side, uh, data gathering and proper processing on the other side, so having a proper admin organizational support, and then being able to, to, to synthesize evidence rather than to to make bargains uh, with advocacy uh, coming from from different ends that have to be balanced with with each other. So if this advocacy is kept under control and the real role of science advice evidence synthesis is strengthened, then I believe this could could have a success. Excellent. You sound quite optimistic. Do you think there's momentum now to do it? I mean, if I come back in 10 years and ask you, will it all be in place? Uh, I don't know. I, uh, predicting future is, is very difficult, and uh, and I don't know whether this will materialize. I'm uh, I'm optimistic uh, that that it can be done. Uh, so it just takes someone to do it and to uh, keep enough space for 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 experimenting. So to have a sort of a uh, safe space both for policymakers and, and the scientists to, 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 to try this communication and to make errors and to learn from these errors. So for that reason, actually, I don't think that this advice would have to be like fully, totally transparent from, from, the, uh, from the very beginning. And especially at the beginning, this should be safe for both sides. So there is no sort of public scrutiny picking on all, all the mistakes made by the policymakers and, and, and the scientists, because that would be uh, that could be a recipe for proving that it cannot work. 
So uh, I, I think this, this sort of safe space for collaboration is absolutely necessary. And of course, in different countries, it, it, should, it, it, it must be different. And in Poland, it would have to take into account all the cultural roles, how people behave, how people read each other, emotions, how messages are conveyed, what kind of level of, uh, of intensity is acceptable, and, 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 and so on. Because obviously, this differs from one country to another. And, and, and this affects uh, the, the, the format and the temperature of the advice given. And I believe that professionals in the in the government and professionals in, in science who are intelligent people would quickly learn how to how to make it work if they saw that this is actually good for them. Yeah. I would like to pick up a bit more on this question of the value of transparency, because I think there are two fairly strongly principled opposing views on this, both of which I've heard on this podcast actually from previous eminent guests. And I'm sure there's some nuances in between. So, so one strong view is transparency is vital. Scientific advice should be given in public and it should be explained to the public. So, well, for all kinds of reasons to do with accountability and democracy and also more practical things like public understanding and acceptance and so on. So that's one. Then the opposite view is that the, uh, the, like the integrity of the conversation, possibly the private conversation between the policymaker and the scientist, has to be protected so that these exchanges can be open and honest and two-way and there's space to genuinely explore things away from the public spotlight and away from the cut and thrust of politics. Would you care to wade into that disagreement? I mean, more than you already indicated? Well, I think the most important thing in the science advice that it should be fit for purpose. And the purpose can be different depending on the topic and especially depending on the on, on the temperature of the public debate and of the po- potential consequences, the public perception of, of, of risk, the public perception of controversies uh, involved in a, in a given topic. I think th- this should determine whether a particular advice should be given openly and sort of adding uh, fuel to the fire sometimes. Or, or it should be kept uh, silent so that the decision maker actually can make better decisions without risking public outrage or in- increasing the polarization. Because some of the decisions based on scientific advice could be polarizing. And I don't think that, that just keeping transparency as the key value is the right way. Transparency, of course, is valuable. But sometimes it can get in the way of, of making good decisions and, and, and having uh, actually beneficial effect for the society. Mm. Yeah, and you can have both sometimes, right? Of course. Like you just said, you can have the academy publishing its very open and transparent opinions. And then you can also have a scientist uh, whispering in the politician's ear to use a deliberately silly image. Absolutely. I think that both the beauty of science advice is in that it can come with so many different ways and and it can be formatted in, in, in different ways and actually it could be addressed to very different people and organizations and, and the language changes the perception of the advice. And, and this is all about narratives. We perceive the facts uh, only through, through, through pre-existing narratives and obviously different recipients have different narratives and the different scientific opinions could be interpreted within the different narratives in a, in a very different way. So it's a question of what kind of narratives we want to plug into with the scientific advice. Some of the, maybe some of the narratives should be uh, left in peace. 
So sometimes it is better to to to, to limit the, the the range of the uh, of the uh, interlocutors for for discussing certain certain scientific evidence. It depends on what the purpose is. So the, the different organizations may have different purpose. Obviously, the Polish Academy of Sciences has different purpose than a specialized body at the ministry or at the office of the prime minister advising the government. So I think there's space for for all of this. Yeah. I, I agree, and I think that's probably as, as good a place as I need to leave our conversation. But I want to thank you very much indeed. You have provided a, a perspective that's both well-informed and thoughtful, but also very pragmatic. So, Professor Janusz Bunitski, I wish you all the best in your work in Poland and in Brussels, and thank you. Thank you very much, Toby. The Science for Policy podcast is produced by SAPEA. We're a consortium of Europe's academy networks, representing more than 100 academies, young academies and learning societies from more than 40 countries across Europe. We're part of the European Commission's scientific advice mechanism and as such we're funded by the European Union. Having said that, the opinions on this podcast are those of the guests, and sometimes mine, but they're not the views of Sapea and certainly not of the European Commission. And finally, this lovely cello music is written by Carlo Alfredo Piatti and performed by Elisaveta Sushchenko. And I'm sorry for talking over it. 